Good morning. How are you? Didn't get that at all, but uh, I hope that was good. Yeah. What a blessing to be here with you. It's been, I can't, we were trying to figure out how long it's been since we, maybe April we were here for the leadership conference, but teaching has been a while. So uh, it's a privilege to, uh, to worship with you and to get to look into the, the word of God together. What an awesome privilege. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray. Would you join me? Our Father, indeed it's a privilege to to gather as we do this morning. Privilege not enjoyed by so many of our brothers and sisters throughout the globe. Um, Lord, we just want to be still for a moment and know that you are God. Lord, we live in uh, amazing times, turbulent times, a lot of question marks. Lord, even as we meet today, uh, And yet in the midst of all of that, we of all people can know peace. And Lord, I pray that as we we examine that topic this morning, uh, that we would know as as those who are in Christ, uh, that we have that peace, Lord, that you are our peace. For those who are searching and seeking, that they would find that peace Uh, that they're lacking in relationship with you. We pray that you'd be honored uh, in, in our time together. Lord, that you would be our teacher as we look into your word this morning, that we would be transformed, Lord, by the renewing of our minds and all to your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm tempted to just completely change what I thought I was going to talk about this morning after uh, Paul read Psalm 34, and he said that it was his favorite psalm, or one of his favorites, and it's one of my favorites, it might be one of your favorites, just such powerful, encouraging words there, and in verse 14 of Psalm 34, Uh, were exhorted to depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Well, we know where where to find peace. That's what we're looking at this morning. The scripture verse, um, Calvary Chapel, we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and there's great power in that. We're, We're doing that this morning. It's just I've blown it all over the place with, we're going to look at several different places, but this is our anchor verse, um, John sixteen thirty three. these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I'm doing a visual survey right now. Um, one of the things that I've discovered that, that is a sure marker that I'm getting older, it's that uh, as I try to bring some illustrations uh, into my teaching, um, something that's very fresh in my mind, and I throw it out there, and it goes right over the edge of the pulpit and right through the floor, and there's this silence and this deer in the headlights. So my illustration this morning uh, to open was a musical one, that for those of you who have been maybe on the planet or roughly as long as I have, you could, uh, you could finish the illustration for me. It's a musical illustration, actually. 
Let there, well, I'll sing it. Let there be peace on earth. Okay, so there's not an overwhelming response there, but some of you have heard that. Let me try another one on you. I'd like to teach the world to sing. You bunch of sinners. At least some of you just dated yourself. You know, those both come out of the late 60s and and the early 70s. Let There Be Peace on Earth goes back a little bit. Um, I'm a native Californian. Um, My wife and I both, uh, Lisa is up front here, we we were both saved during the Jesus movement. We uh, were on the West Coast at that time, obviously, late 60s, early 70s. So my sermon title is Peace. So, I mean, what do you expect from somebody from California from that era? Hold that thought and that lyric. Let me start over. This might be more appropriate. Shalom. Which means? All right. Maybe that's a better spark. Wouldn't you agree that a message of peace would be a very welcomed message in the times that that we live in? Uh, angst and aggression and activism and accelerating anarchy and media craziness and and uh, and we can get so caught up in that especially if you're in the social media and Facebook and um, all of your friends are we're all just angrily opposing this and that and it's not very peaceful context that we live in but to, to speak a message of peace, it's important that we, um, uh, what I my mean by peace could be entirely different than what somebody else is saying. So we, wanna, we want to clarify that a little bit. Uh, I understand that uh, you are going through the book of Ezekiel, is that correct? And you're just about to get to, what, 38 and 39, within maybe, Dwight said, don't touch that, I want to teach that one. I understand. We just went through Ezekiel last year, but uh, boy, we may be seeing Ezekiel being just ready to break, uh, 38 and 39, ready to break forth even as we speak. The reference point, uh, the foundation that we speak from when we speak on peace is absolutely essential, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we we should understand that best of all. So Jesus, here in this, this intimate time of communion with his disciples, is, is preparing them. He's, he's ministering to them in a very personal way. And it, kind of in the middle of this uh, dialogue he's having with them, he he's pauses and says, I've spoken these things, these things that I've said so far. I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. And he defines it there, doesn't he? Peace is only in Christ. And then he goes on to say, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not you might or possibly could, but you will have tribulation. But I've spoken these things to you that you, you might have peace. Similar vibe in Revelation chapter 2 as um, some 30-ish years later. Jesus is speaking to the church in Smyrna, a church that is 
in tribulation at that point, undergoing tribulation, small t. And uh, he says, I know your tribulation, but don't fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. When uh, Pastor Dwight called me and, and asked if I could fill in for him while he was gone, I, I said, yes, I would be honored. And uh, there was no, he says, you, you speak on what you want to speak on, except Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, and immediately, the one word came to my mind. And I know I was impressed of the Lord with it, and that was peace. The process of preparing a message on peace, though, was anything but peaceful, just you know, personal things that I'm not, I'm not surprised. We, we have an enemy, right? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, we're, we're in a spiritual battle. And so it was just a, a personal reminder that, that uh, there are many battles we're in, and we're in, in the context of a very large spiritual war that's going on. Yesterday, as we were preparing to leave, I was uh, listening to the world news briefing. Uh, Barry Stagner and Mike McIntosh do it on his channel, and I can, you can catch it on the radio. And one of the stories that was read was just, just take your breath away, and it was actually out of the Canada Free Press. And it was talking about how our, our previous president, President Obama, and um, made this quote, he made this promise, and, and as they were reading it on this program, it's like it was just as fresh as if I can remember when, when President Obama said this. He talked about having a civilian national security force, every bit as strong as the U.S. military. And then this article went on to, to speak about what is taking place just in this little category of things in our, in our nation uh, 250 Organizing for Action officers, OFA officers, in this kind of army from, our, from the previous administration that is there. Uh, 32,000 organizers under these 250, and 25,000 anarchists in training. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But, you know, this is just one of the things that we're feeling the rumblings of in, in the times in which we live. I talked to my brother who also lives out on the, left co uh, the West Coast uh, in California Friday night. And uh, he lives up in uh, Lake Arrowhead. And he's talking about the stuff that's happening daily there. You can just... I mean, that's the land of earthquakes, you know, physical earthquakes. But you can just feel the spiritual uh, force shocks, for those of you who understand earthquakes. Uh, just crazy stuff going on. And it does, you, you know. Fear just wants to come in and, and rip, rip your heart out and shut it down. But we have peace. In Christ, we have peace. And, and I'm hoping that that's something that we can take away from this message today. So I want to offer a few humble reflections and thoughts, maybe scriptural suggestions, if that's okay with you. If your answer is no, this will be a very short Bible study. So I did a Google Images search for quotes on the word 
piece. And it yielded a variety of authors and spokespeople. Uh, in, on this list, uh, the first one on the list was Albert Einstein, followed by Buddha, Jimi Hendrix, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Ronald Reagan, Benjamin Franklin, John Lennon, Robert Fulgate, Virginia Woolf, George Orwell, Dalai Lama, Eleanor Roosevelt, JFK, George Washington, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Napoleon, peaceful guy, and Helen Keller, among others. Those were the first 36 that um, posted in that Google search. There was one name that I thought was conspicuously absent. Absent. Jesus Christ. Didn't appear once. And not one of those listed, though there were some noble things there, not one of them approached the truth of the Bible. At best, there are man's efforts to either broker peace, fight for peace, demand peace, find peace within, or even imagine, as another hidden musical reference there from the 70s. Here's one quote. If everyone demanded peace instead of another television set, then there'd be peace. John Lennon. We're, what we do know is there's a lot of unpeace, if I can make a word this morning. Where's it come from? Well, we know, if, if, if you're a student of the Bible, you know, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter Two, and you can see where it all comes in unhinged very shortly after creation. And God said, here is all of this. Enjoy it. Tend it. You know, walk with me in the, in the cool of the day in the garden. But in, in this tree, a garden, there's one tree. Leave it alone. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, in the day that you choose to partake of that tree, and listen to the verbs and the adverbs and the nouns and the adjectives here. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally dying, you shall die. Um, and it tells us a little further in chapter 3, it says, they did that, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Adam, in response to God's query of where are you, says, I was Afraid, I hid myself. And God says, as the curse is pronounced, there will be sorrow, pain. You'll have a desire that's, that's not of me, that, that you will never be able to fulfill. Cursed is the ground, toil, thorns, thistles, sweat, dust. Doesn't sound like peace, does it? And that comes forward to us, you know, all, all the way down through time. So the breach of God's word and that resultant broken fellowship with the peace giver results, as you know, in two deaths, a physical death and a spiritual death. James told us later in the New Testament that friendship with the world is enmity with God. They they won't work. Unpeaceful consequences. 
Many of you here this morning, um, listening online, you've probably got great concerns about the condition of the world that, that we live in, uh, especially the condition, current condition of the church. There's a lot of unpeaceful things there, though there are some prophets of peace so-called, right? Now, I'm, a lot of my references go back a ways, but... Your best life now versus an eternal life focus, right? A purpose-driven life rather than a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. You know, we, we, uh, we give up so much in taking God's word at less than it is. There's a lot of dimensions of this lack of peace. There's personal, uh, family, Church, societal, national, global, at whatever level, there's just uh, everywhere you look. The baseline of it all is, do you have personal peace this morning? Because all the rest flows from that. Amen? All right. Augustine of uh, Hippo says in his confessions, and I don't quote him often, but I, I love this quote, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. I think it's absolutely true. And, and it's only those who find and receive Christ that truly know that the, the emptiness and angst that's within is, is that God-shaped void that can only be filled by God himself. You, can, you, you see the headlines, you, you see the posts online when it comes to society, um, divorce, abuse, neglect, abandonment, sex trafficking, drugs, crime, greed, abortion, infidelity. The list is, is depressing, isn't it? We have national unrest. In the 1860s, our nation went through a horrible civil war, fighting with ourselves. In the 1960s, our nation went through a horrible civil war. <laughs> in 2017, we're in the midst of a, a civil war that, that may make those two pale in comparison. Globally, you know, as you, as you look at all of the things going on around the world, if you were to pick and pinpoint a, a, an epicenter, what would you choose? Middle East? That's what comes to my mind, and specifically Israel, and specifically Jerusalem. The psalmist said, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Another psalmist later urges us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That tells me that there's unrest, that there's unpeace going on. Um, I read a National Geographic article. Now, this one is dated as well. I might as well carry this theme of old stuff. <laughs> but um, October 2004, at that time... The, the author of this article says Jerusalem is the most bitterly fought over city in the history, in history, period. 118 conflicts, 
razed at least twice, 23 sieges, countless terrorist attacks. How many since? I mean, that's, that's dated stuff 12 years ago. But what does the world keep telling Israel? Because we, we realize that if the Middle East goes, it's going, to affect, it's going to affect us all. So how can we have peace? Well, Israel, you need to give up land. Land for peace. How's that working out so far? Not so good. And yet, you may be sitting here this morning dying to have that peace, to have things at rest in your heart. So the individual, the family, the nation, the church, we all say that we want peace. What will we give to have that? That's the the question this morning. Jesus said... These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. And then he says, in the world you will have tribulation. That's not really new news. I think we've covered that pretty well so far. In another place, Jesus told his listeners that he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And we understand that the person receiving peace Jesus as the master and the Lord and Savior and God of their life, um, that's going to result in division right within the family. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, father against son. Many of you here this morning have experienced that or experiencing that right now. And it's hard. It's, it's a painful thing to, to go through. But Jesus spoke the hard truth to us, but he embedded that within this context of, but there is peace if you are in me. Contrast that with what the false prophets say. Jerusalem, or Israel, going into captivity, and and Jeremiah speaking in chapter 6 and chapter 8, he says, from the prophet to the priest, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace, we'll just pretend. We'll just imagine. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 1 through 3, speaking of the, the day of the Lord, it says, When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, the unbelieving world. Coming up to today, Pope Francis said this recently, each of us has a vision of good and evil. We have to encourage people to move towards what they think is good. Everyone has his own idea of good and evil and must choose to follow the good and fight evil as he conceives them. That would be enough to make the world a better place. It kind of has the ring of what we just read in scripture. I think we need to define peace. Shall we do that? Merriam-Webster, good place to get that definition? Eh, maybe. Let's go to the Bible. Um, A search in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance says that the word peace appears 429 times in 400 verses in the King James. I actually counted more than that but I was never very good at math. 
But there are three very related words in the Hebrew. The one you would be probably most familiar with is shalom. It appears 236 times, and it speaks of a completeness or a soundness, welfare, safety, friendship with humans and with God, and it can mean peace from war, among other things, depending upon the context where you find it. Second most frequent occurrence is the word shalam, or it's actually shalom, so it's very close to shalom. It means to be at peace, have a covenant of peace. Um, then shalem, S-H-E-L-E-M, 87 times, that word precedes uh, the peace offering, which would be easy to dismiss, except if you realize what, what the worshiper is doing in bringing that peace offering. It's the desire to be in, in right relationship with God. And the last one is harash, appears 73 times. It means to be silent or quiet, as in hold your peace. James reminds us that that's a, a, probably a good way to, to facilitate uh, peace in many times when we're tempted to just speak our minds. That can be an unpeaceful event. In the Greek, uh, the words there, there's four also, they kind of echo what the uh, the Hebrew says, so uh, aranya, sepeao, femao, and aranyuo, and they, uh, they speak of that peace, whether it's between the believer and God, between man and God, uh, holding one's peace, or actually pursuing peace. Psalm 34 14, seek peace and pursue it. So we have to engage it. We have to want it and we have to go after it. It's available, but we have to, to want that. What are the terms of peace? You may have seen a bumper sticker or a t-shirt that says, no God, no peace, and, and some of the letters are colored in, in dark and some stand out because K-N-O-W, God, no God, K-N-O-W, no peace. If you drop off the K off the front and the W off the bat, you have, uh, back, you have N-O, God, N-O, peace. I, I think that, that's a great summation of, of the terms of peace. No God, K-N-O-W, no peace. Does that mean that we won't have difficulties in our lives, challenges to our faith? No, Jesus has told us that in John 16, In this world, you will have tribulation, my disciples, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's an order here that needs to happen. First of all, there needs to be peace with God. How do you get that? Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's a present tense experience. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's where peace with God comes. 
We want the peace of God that follows peace with God. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. The New Living Translation says, whose thoughts are fixed on, on you. Perfect peace, not just maybe peace or sometimes peace, but you can, you can, an abiding peace. That's the peace of God. Be still and know that I am God. There's peace there. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor, who are weary, who are heavy laden, and I will give you, well, the word there is rest. You will find rest for your souls. The Greek word there means blessed tranquility of soul. Oh, that sounds good. I see myself back in my hometown in the mountains overlooking the valley, and I think of, it's just a, it's a picture of blessed tranquility. It falls far short of what I have in Christ. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon says that that word rest in Matthew eleven twenty eight. they say it's the peace of God. So come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you my peace. I don't have to search for it. It's available in relationship with Christ. So those are the terms. We've talked about what the source of peace is. We'll elaborate, elaborate that on, uh, on that a little bit. I heard one woman tell of her prescription for peace. She said, my psychiatrist told me that the best way to find inner peace is to finish what I start. I just finished a couple of chocolate cookies, a Hershey's chocolate bar, and a large piece of chocolate cake. It works! I'm feeling very peaceful now. I admire that philosophy, and I've even tried it many uh, times myself. The problem is that the only peace I get from it is wanting another peace piece of chocolate it it's temporal it, you know peace as a feeling can pass our emotions can deceive us it's got to be something deeper than that listen to these statistics uh, on peace in the world down through history a former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences and and historians from England Egypt Germany and India came up with some startling information. Since 3600 BC, the world has only known 292 years of peace. I'll let you do the math. During that period, there have been 14,351 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of the property destroyed would pay for a golden belt around the world 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. Since 650 BC, there have also been 1,656 arm races, only 16 of which have not ended in war. 
and the remainder ended the, in the economic collapse of the countries involved. Doesn't sound like the world is very good at peace, does it? That's because we can't broker it, we can't manufacture it. The best we can come up with is a, a truce, a so-called peaceful coexistence um, with those we don't necessarily agree with or get along with. Peace is a person. We're coming up on Passover in, in, in not too long down the road and, and uh, Resurrection Sunday and Easter and all of that. And uh, what comes to my mind is what Paul said about Jesus Christ himself. He said, Christ is our Passover. He is, he is the peace between us and God because of his sacrifice. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, another holiday comes to mind. This one, Christmas. You'll hear this verse often around that time. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Peace is a person. How sad, uh, you know, as I drive around Appleton, wherever I'm at, and you pass churches, and so many of them, they may actually have the name, you know, Prince of Peace. Uh, and yet, so many of the churches of our day have really stopped exalting the Prince of Peace, have stopped teaching the Word of God, and therefore, they don't really have the message of peace to offer. Later in the Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 53, verse 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Peace is a person. In Ephesians chapter 2, and let me turn there, and you're welcome to go there too, uh, a passage in chapter 2 just speaks of our peace being not only in Christ, he is our peace. Ephesians two eleven. therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death enmity. He came and preached peace to you who were far off 
and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. No longer strangers, but now part of the body of Christ. Also, in John chapter 14 through chapter 16, uh, Jesus is giving this promise of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And the name of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, the Helper, the Parakletos, the one who comes alongside to, to help us. You know these things. And he speaks these words, John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I, Jesus says, I leave you my peace, not as the world gives. So that tells me that the world is interested in some kind of peace, but it is no peace. But he offers to us his peace. The unbelieving world system is administrated by Satan himself, who is at war with God since, well, Isaiah and Ezekiel both give us that picture of, of Satan's rebellion against God. And that system tries to produce and procure a peace apart from God, something that it can neither produce or procure. Satan's the author of rebellion. He can't offer what he doesn't possess. It's a counterfeit peace. Have you ever noticed how the unbeliever who may have great swelling words about peace on his or her lips, um, such as tolerance, freedom, once they are pressed with what the Bible, with what Jesus has to say about peace, they tend to become rather unpeaceful at that moment. Just reflect back on maybe a, a recent Thanksgiving or Christmas gathering with extended family where you want to bring Jesus to the table. Um, it can get very unpeaceful. As you go on through the New Testament, Old Testament as well, but I discover that there's a great connection between faith and peace. You might want to turn to Mark chapter 4. See, we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now they went, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus says, peace be still to the storm. You may have heard some version of, of this little saying. Sometimes Jesus calms the storm. Sometimes he calms his, uh, his child in the storm. 
I heard a variation of that. Sometimes Jesus calms his child in the storm, and sometimes he calms the storm in his child. I think they both work. And that's what Christ wants to do in us. Now, it should be noted, just a a footnote, that sometimes the storms that come in our life, the unrest, the unpeace, is of our own doing, right? Come on. All right, it's just me then. As I was reading uh, in my devotions uh, last week or the week before, I'm in Judges, I was in Judges chapter 2, and the, the children of Israel have come into the land. They're told to go and take the land. God's going to go before them, give them victory. And they kind of sort of did that. And here they did really good at that and maybe not so good there. And there just comes this point where God says, um, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died so that... Through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them. Sometimes that unrest comes in our life because we sin. Or we don't just walk in that that fullness of faith. And so this thing lands in our life. And Satan just wants to jump right on that and, and just say, Oh yeah, peace, right. Go ahead. You know, your family's disintegrating. You've lost your job, your car's in the snowbank, your dog died. Oh, that's a country song. I'm going the wrong ways, but life feels like that, right? But God says, well, think of Paul with the thorn in his flesh, whatever that was. You probably have your opinion on that, but he says, I sought the Lord three times that he would remove that, and God said, my grace is sufficient, you know. In your weakness, I can be strong. I don't think it was a sin issue with Paul. Uh, so that's where the, the parallel falls apart. But um, something that may be in your life that just seems like, I'm just going to give up. This is too much. Maybe the very thing God's wanting to use to prove your faith. And it's in that proving, it's in that faithfulness to keep putting one foot in front of the other that you discover a peace that is at a level that is far below the surface. And hopefully in that, that storm eventually clears. But, but faith is, is a key in us having peace. Sometimes an encounter with the Lord can kind of unnerve us, you know, when you are just you know that God has <laughs> abruptly just said, I want your attention right now. I think of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus with the encounter of Jesus, or Paul and, and his encounter with Christ. Jesus later showing up in Jerusalem in the room with the disciples, and, oh, you know, and what did he speak there? Peace be to you. Fear God in in a sense of reverence, but he also said, come to me, so come. I think of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears in the Pharisee's house and the parable of the two debtors. And the Pharisees are hassling Jesus about even having anything to do with this woman, allowing her to, you know, you're breaking the law and all that. And after he 
speaks to them. He turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I mean, just a personal note from me. So often Satan wants to draw me back to the remembrances of of the times I failed the Lord, miserably failed God. Prodigal years back in my early 20s, just, really? I mean, that was only four or five years ago, if you understand. But some of those memories can be just as fresh as if I did, you know, I, I, I did them yesterday. That's where the Satan wants me to go. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's your faith in my finished work that has saved you. Go in peace. That's a hallelujah there. Can you hear the choir? <laughs> Going back to Christmas, because I love Christmas. Uh, the, the passage in Luke chapter, chapter 2, the angel appears on the scene and says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. My wife is really good at that goodwill towards, towards men. I'm wearing some right now today. It's a different goodwill, of course. But The world is drawn to that, or at least used to be, uh, that message of peace, if not willing to submit to the terms of peace. It's another, another issue altogether. What about us? What about those who are in Christ and who academically know this? Maybe you've experienced it to some degree. Again, Paul speaking to the believer in Ephesians 6 tells us we're in a battle. We're in a war. We need to suit up. We need to have our armor on. And one of the pieces of that armor is having our feet shod with what? The gospel of Peace. The gospel is reconciliation. That's the message of the gospel. Be reconciled to God. There'd be peace. Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, he said, Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is the same church which some 30-ish years later Jesus spoke to in Revelation chapter 2. It's the first of the churches in those seven churches that are addressed. And he, he acknowledges that their theology is good and that they're opposing evil and they're, they've got all of this good going on. But he says, I, I've got this one thing against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, return to those things you did it at first. Contending for the faith is what part of what we are called to do. And sometimes that's hard work. We're compelled by the Holy Spirit to be engaged in that. But we mustn't forget, first of all, our own sinful and condemned state before Christ, before we came to him. And it's easy to, to do. When you're in the heat of the battle, think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. There's some homework for you. 
And we must not, in our zeal to contend for the faith, become unnecessarily contentious, or even self-righteous. And third, we must not forget the precious sweetness of the experience of the love of Jesus that first drew us to him. Whenever that was in your life, it might have been this morning, it might have been 50 years ago. And not forget, it's the, the, the Holy Spirit who filled us with his love and his hope. And he's the one who animated our thoughts and actions of grace and even evangelism to, to others. Thirty years. Uh, I, my wife Lisa and I, uh, we can remember vividly coming to Christ in the, the late 60s, uh, as I said earlier, in the Jesus movement, which really exploded in this little country church on the edge of town, Costa Mesa, Santa Ana, never sure what, it's right there, the street that goes by the church there, but uh, Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith was called to that. During a time of tremendous societal and global turmoil and sin. And one man, Chuck Smith, spurred on by his wife, Kay, praying for a bunch of shipwrecked hippies on the beaches of Southern California and sharing the love of Jesus Christ, not theology, The theology comes through the love. And people beginning to come out of that whole hippie movement and find the peace that they were all singing about and wearing and, and didn't possess. And it was a wave, if I can use that. Uh, It caught me, it caught Lisa, it caught so many of our classmates right where we were at in our sins and brought us, swept us into the kingdom of God. It revolutionized that little country church. It revolutionized the town, the county, the state, all the way up to Berkeley. Yep. Go do your history. There is some history books that actually teach real history. You just have to look hard for them. The region, to the nation, and even to the globe. The love of Jesus Christ. Let's keep in mind in our contending for the faith, our desire is peace. Our desire is peace within the church. And we understand that if, if it's going on in my heart and it's going on in our fellowship, that there's great potential that God could again touch hearts. We know the times. We suspect that we're right in the threshold. Nevertheless, there's still some that may be saved. Remember 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is impatient. No, that's not what it says. It says the Lord is long-suffering, meaning merciful, extending the, the possibility of peace toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Romans 2.4 tells us there 
that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And you know what that should flow into who we are and how we conduct ourselves. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus told us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Is there anything that you would want to be known above that? A child of God? I mean, a real, born-again, looking forward to, to heaven with God? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. So in that sense, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Uh, The theology of that song is weak. I understand that. But Jesus is saying happy are the ones who pursue peace. It goes right with Psalm 34. It's available. Pursue it. So first, peace with God, which provides the peace of God. And then maybe... Peace between us in the church. And we become then those ministers, those ambassadors of reconciliation. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Paul spoke to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 5 of his first letter, be at peace among yourselves. Man, that's setting a high bar. I have to get along with you? By the grace of God, all things are possible in Christ, right? Romans 14 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Is peace always possible? Well, I think it's always possible. I'm thankful that Paul said that there is an if. It's not always, uh, it doesn't always occur. But let's be about that, okay? I exhort, Paul said to Timothy, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the wisdom James talks about in chapter 3 that is from above. It is peaceable. And these things challenge me. I, I don't know what your response to this stuff is. I hope I haven't gone back 40 years and turned into a hippie again. My son told me that he finally understands me about three years ago. He said, I just had this epiphany the other day, Pop. You're a hippie. 
I don't think so, but it's the soil I came out of, you know. We know what's coming. Ezekiel 38, 39, the book of Revelation. If you're looking forward to God's wrath being poured out on the unbelieving world, consider the whole context. It may be somebody that you love who's refusing to receive Christ. Yes, I'm looking forward to the blessed hope. And at a point in history, that will take place. But in the meantime, supplications, prayers, intercessions. Amen? I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. What does that mean? To close, uh, the word uh, in the Greek for overcome there is nekao. It means to deprive uh, the world of power to harm. You ever heard somebody stand there and say, you can't touch this? In that sense, we are bulletproof in Christ. We could walk out this door and, and lose our head to a machete. We are in the presence of Christ immediately. We're in the presence of Christ now if you are in relationship with him. Nekao, I have deprived the world of power to harm you. I have subverted its influence according to Thayer's lexicon. Do you have that peace this morning? Present tense. I encourage you, if you don't, you know where to get it. Go to the Lord. And let's do that. Father, Lord, we acknowledge that uh, no matter how much we want to just get along, as one person said a few years ago, um, Lord, we are challenged, even between uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes, to, to dwell in peace. And yet, the word, we're exhorted to do those things. And Lord, you are there to empower us by your Holy Spirit as you come alongside us and enable us to do what we can't do in and of ourselves. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning who may be struggling to find that peace, maybe for the first time. Or maybe, Lord, it's just slipped away in the midst of the storms on the sea. That you would be peace to them this morning. Thank you, God, that you are our peace. And we can access that even now. If we are in Christ, it's as simple as confessing our sins, acknowledging those, agreeing with you, and then enjoying the fact that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from those unrighteousness. And Lord, that fellowship is restored. The words of Paul are the words I'd leave you with this morning. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in the hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may that be our experience this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.